Salvation Now podcast, where you'll discover and be equipped with keys from the Word of God that will pave the way to God's unlimited blessing in your life. Now, here's your host, Evangelist T.J. Malkanji. The price tag for unbelief. I want to get this. This is my main point. I'm sticking on this point today. Unbelief carries a price tag. Faith carries a reward. And I want to show you from the book of Luke, chapter 22. If you could take a moment, actually, before I get in it, just share the broadcast. Forgot to mention that. Help me get this word out to as many people as possible. Like it. Comment it. If you're on Facebook, comment. Uh, like it on, on YouTube. Please like it as much as you... Um, well, not as much as you can. You can only like it once. But share it. Like it. Comment as much as you can on YouTube because it helps defeat the algorithm so that this message can get out to more people. So you're, do, you're being a great help to me by doing that. And I, I, I'm really... I'm really thankful for those of you who've been sharing our broadcasts like lunatics it really makes me happy because i look at the share on facebook sometimes there's over 120 shares and there's not even 100 of you watching on facebook so it it encourages me that you guys are are, are lunatics for christ which is a good a good way to be a lunatic if you're going to be a lunatic that's the one i choose so please help me by doing that uh, luke 22 and verse 31 this is what the bible says and the lord said simon simon Indeed, Satan has desired to sift you. He's asked for you that he might sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you. Jesus saying this. I've prayed for you, Simon, so that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned, strengthen your brethren. Jesus told Peter in this instance, the devil has one objective in your life. He has one goal that he seeks to meet. In every believer and unbeliever's life. And that is to make sure your foundation of faith is destroyed. Psalm 11.3 says, If your faith, if, your, if the, the foundation be destroyed, which for the righteous, faith is our foundation. If the foundation be destroyed, what can the righteous do? The devil seeks, he aims his scope, his weapons of warfare at destroying the faith of the righteous if he can destroy your faith he's succeeded at destroying everything else in your life because the bible says by faith we stand so if he can get your faith out of the way then you can't stand any longer you're gonna crumble so there's a price tag to unbelief there's a price tag to carrying unbelief in your heart i want to read out of hebrews chapter 3 listen to this i'm going to read a lot of scripture today as is the, the norm for this broadcast, because ultimately our opinion is not what we think. Our opinion is not formed by uh, what this world has to say. Our opinions are shaped by the Word of God. You know, the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 3, by faith we understand. So our understanding has to come from the Word of God. Our understanding for life and everything that pertains to life has to be developed by the Word of God. The Word of God is the final authority for our Christian conduct and living. Everything else is subject to the authority of God's Word. If it doesn't line up, then it doesn't stay. If it doesn't match up, then it has no place in my mind. And the Bible says we are to cast down every imagination, every thought, every reasoning, every argument, of the heart anything that would rise from within or anything that would come from without 
It, we're to cast it down to the obedience of Christ. We are to take every thought captive. If the thought doesn't line up with God's thoughts, then it has no place. It can't take up one inch of real estate in our minds. That's why Paul said in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 2, he said that we are to present our bodies as a living and holy sacrifice unto God, which is our spiritual form of worship. And we are not to be conformed to the patterns of this world, we're not to be conformed to the wisdom of this world. We're not to be conformed to the ideologies and worldviews of this world. But rather, we are to be transformed by the renewing of our mind so that we can prove what is the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God that is in Christ Jesus. And so that's why I commend you today. You know, in life, you're either going backwards or you're moving forwards. There's no stagnant place. There's no static thing in life. Um, there's a famous statement that says, nature abhors vacuum. Nothing assumes uh, a, a static state. Nothing assumes an idle state. You're either moving forward. You know, even a flower. A flower has to choose to grow. And if the sun and the conditions are right, the flower continues to thrive in growth. But if the flower doesn't have right conditions, what's, what ends up happening? The flower doesn't stay strong and continue. No, the flower begins to recede. Even you can see uh, just in a physical body, your bodies are are. Paul said, your, your outward tent is decaying day by day. Everything has, uh, assumes a, a state of decadence unless you move towards growth. If you are trying to lose weight, you're not just going to sit on your couch eating Cheetos and uh, just assume that you're going to lose weight. You have to take steps for growth. You have to go to a gym. You have to line up your diet, your exercise life. Um, your exercise lifestyle has to line up with a program that has been proven to allow people and help people to lose weight. So nothing assumes a state of, of, of idleness. Um, uh, what's his name? Smith Wigglesworth used to say it this way. You're either moving forward with God or you're a backslider. Every day you're to take steps forward towards God or you're backsliding. Any day that you don't make intentional movement towards God is a day where you have backslidden. That's a powerful statement. That's why, you know, Smith Wigglesworth, if you study his life, he actually said every morning I'd wake up and pray in the Holy Ghost for the first 15 to 20 minutes, dance around my bed and pray with hands lifted up, dedicating, consecrating my day to God. And he said, as long as I did that, I never had a temptation to backslide. If you're not taking steps forward, then you're taking steps backward. Don't let the devil deceive you into thinking that you're in a neutral state. No, you have, and that's why I commend you today because today your faith is going to grow exceedingly because you've taken and many of you are on this broadcast uh, without skipping a beat some of you have never missed a broadcast since you've heard of us some of you have never missed uh you know a day where you didn't listen to at least an hour or two hours of preaching that is an um that is a state that is a step that champions take you know, people that have great faith don't just arrive at it overnight. They don't wake up one day and then suddenly they just, man, I just feel like I can move mountains today. People that operate and function at a high level of faith have high level dedication and consecration to God. They take steps, deliberate steps. You know, the pursuit of God is a deliberate thing. 
It's not just, well, when I feel like it, I'll pursue God. No, those who seek me and search for me with all their heart, those are the ones that are going to find me. So I want to tell you at the onset of this broadcast, God's going to bless you for this seeking, this diligent seeking that you're doing today. God's going to bless you with reward. I tell you in the name of Jesus, my prayer before coming on this was that God would infect you with a spirit of faith. The spirit of faith is the spirit that overcomers and conquerors carry. It's the spirit that Joshua and Caleb had that in the midst of, gen of generation that said we can't do it they began to speak the word of the Lord and said no if God's on our side we can by all means do it there and nothing's gonna even prevail against us we'll be able to run through a troop David said we'll be able to leap over walls we'll be able to like Paul said do all things through Christ who gives us strength that's the spirit of faith it's the spirit of a conqueror and I pray that from today's broadcast God would infect you like you know everybody's talking about being afraid of being infected with COVID. I'm not afraid of COVID. COVID's under my feet because the devil's under my feet. What I want, you can be infected with bad things and then you can catch things in life that are very good. You can carry bad habits and you can carry good habits. You can carry a spirit of unbelief, which we're going to talk about in a bit, or you can carry the spirit of faith. Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 13, we therefore having the same spirit of faith just as they believe and spoke, so we now believe and speak. That spirit called faith hasn't left the earth. That spirit called faith is still seeking people that are going to walk by its principles so that you can produce the impossible. Faith will produce the impossible. Faith will change the unchangeable. Faith will do the undoable. Cha faith will move the unmovable. Faith can conquer the things that used to conquer you. The Bible says it's through faith that we subdued kingdoms. It's through faith that we obtained promises. It's through faith that out of weakness we were made strong. I prophesy in Jesus' name. That spirit called faith is coming alive on the inside of you today as you begin to live by its principles as you begin to speak like Ezekiel did in a valley full of dry bones what do you think caused those dry bones to live again it was the speaking spirit the speaking spirit of faith that in the midst of dry bones no I'm going to report what God told me to report I'm going to prophesy as I was commanded and as he spoke dry bones began to rattle come together and an exceedingly great army Began to uh, was formed on that day. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I pray that it'll infect you today. That in the, even when people speak contrary reports to the word of God, like a holy indignation and anger would rise up within me. No, not as for me and my family. Not as for me and my children. Because when we serve the Lord, God promised us that if we'll obey and serve him, he'll, we'll spend our days in prosperity. Well, how many of you know COVID's going around? How many of you know, you know, there's flu season coming? No, as for me and my family, we will serve the Lord and we will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. We will taste and see that the Lord is good and His mercy endures forever in the name of Jesus Christ. Listen to this, Hebrews chapter 3, the price tag for unbelief, verse 7. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today if you will hear His voice, don't harden your hearts as in the rebellion, as in the day of trial in the wilderness, where your fathers tested me and tried me and saw my works for 40 years. They doubted me and tried me. Therefore, I was angry with that generation. And I said, they always go astray in their heart and they've not known my ways. So I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Verse 12, beware. So Paul, or the writer of Hebrews, whoever it was, 
takes a moment before he moves on and gives, this is a word of caution to you. Beware. Don't live uh, mindlessly. Don't live without taking special caution to what I'm about to say. Beware. Lest there be in any of you, and he says, beware brethren. So he's not talking to unbelievers. He's not talking to people who don't know the Lord. He's talking to people who have a relationship with God in Christ Jesus. And he says, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief. An evil heart. A heart, when the Bible talks about heart, it, it's like synonymous with spirit. Your spirit, man. So Paul, or whoever wrote the... The book of Hebrews is saying, beware lest there be in you an evil spirit of unbelief in departing from the living God. So the Bible talks about a spirit of unbelief. And there are many people that carry it in the church. You talk about miracles. I had someone write into me just the other day. And they were saying, my church, they like drew the last straw. The pastor got up and he's been bashing miracles in the Holy Spirit all this time. And now he came up and he... He, he's, he, he made a statement, a clear statement that the day of miracles is gone and there's no more miracles that God does on you. And it struck something in, in that person's spirit. And it should, because when you carry the spirit of faith, when you, can, when you understand the word of God, things that contradict God's word are going to irritate you. It should rise. It should uh, provoke something in you. You know, when Paul was writing through Athens, the Bible says his spirit was provoked within him when he saw that the, the city was given over to idols. Your spirit should be provoked when you see things that contradict God's order of things. Uh, the Bible says it's an evil spirit of unbelief. Jesus, in Mark chapter 16, he enters in to the house after he had resurrected, goes into the house where the disciples are, and he rebuked their unbelief because they had not believed Mary and Mary who had told them of his resurrection. He rebuked unbelief. You'll find out in modern Christianity, faith is often rebuked and unbelief is often heralded and cherished as some pious thing. Where in the scriptures, Jesus never tolerated unbelief. He always rebuked unbelief. You see it when he was going to uh, open up that a man's mouth who had a speech impediment and opened up his deaf ears. The Bible says he took him out. I think he was in Bethsaida. He took him out of the city and brought him to the, to the horizon, brought him to the, to the city lines, took him out of the city, and then he dipped his finger in, in, his, uh, in his mouth and in his tongue, and he loosed his impediment of speech and opened up his deaf ears. Jesus, why did he, the anointed Christ, why did he have to take a man out of a city before he can work a miracle. Because if you'll study Matthew eleven twenty, it actually says that that city had rejected Christ even after seeing his marvelous wonders, which he had done, his marvelous works, his signs and wonders. They had already seen his miracle ministry and they rejected him. So the next time he wanted to work a, min a miracle for somebody, for an individual, he had to pull the guy out of the city before he could work that miracle. You have to learn... If you're going to beat this spirit of unbelief, if you're going to make sure that you don't carry unbelief in your heart, if you're going to guard your heart above all things, for out of it flows the issues of life, you have to set up an environment around you that is conducive for faith to function and operate. You have to make sure that the companions that you walk with, you know, the Bible says the companion of a fool will be destroyed. Paul said in 1 Corinthians, don't be deceived. Bad morals corrupt 
Good, comp uh, good people, bad morals, bad company corrupts good morals rather. Bad company corrupts good morals. If you are intent, I'm not saying you shouldn't hang around unbelievers as in they don't know Christ. You should uh, make it a lifestyle. You know, I, on the last broadcast, I stated something that said, um, don't fellowship with people who are intent on fellowshipping with hell. And I had some people write, write into me and say, well, you know, how are we going to win the loss if we're, you know, staying away from sinners and people that are clearly not, not saved. And I, I didn't mean it that way. What I meant was anybody who calls himself a believer that is intent on living a lifestyle of unholiness, a lifestyle that is uh, practicing sin constantly, habitual sin, Paul said, not I, Paul said, anyone who so calls himself a brother, but continues to practice a lifestyle of drunkenness, extortion, adultery, theft, and all that, don't even eat with such a person. So I'm not, when I talk about not hanging around and setting up an environment where unbelievers aren't around you, I'm not talking about people that are sinners. I'm not talking about people that don't know the Lord. I'm talking about people who are Christians who discourage you from, from believing God the full way, who discourage you from believing God for the impossible, who discourage you and turn your heart away from believing God for a miracle, that when you're sick in your body and you, you start to say, I believe God's going to heal me, and all of a sudden people around you get around you and start saying, well, uh, you know what, sometimes God has this plan in that sickness and you'll see it at the end. Even if he doesn't heal you, you'll see that uh, God's working something mysteriously behind the scenes. That's the type of Christian that you got to, you got to stay away from. You know the Bible says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, I believe it is, that there are people in the last days who will hold to a form of godliness, but they will deny the power of God that's able to set people free. There are people in the church that hold to a form of godliness. They have the big... I saw this guy on Twitter just before uh, coming on this broadcast, and he's just, you know, just some angry preacher. Just go, feels like he has a call from heaven to call out different preachers and different pastors and ministries that are doing way more than this guy's doing in his basement, uh, you know, in like a tank top and shorts. And he feels like he has a, a call, a responsibility to call out every big preacher, every preacher that's succeeding in actually drawing people to Christ. And then he, he had a big Bible right in front of him that was so scribbled up I don't even know how he, it's impossible that he even reads that Bible because it was so, he was trying to show how much notes he takes in his Bible, but there was so much scribbling. I don't even know how he reads that Bible. He's just reading his notes, which that's a very diff, difficult, uh, that's a very um, uh, bad way to read your Bible where you scribble out the scriptures and just write your opinions on it and then you just read your opinions from that moment onward. Not a good way to read your Bible. So there are people, there are ministries that are set out. They feel they have a responsibility to be the watchman on the tower to beat down other ministers and ministries that are doing things that they haven't been able to do for one reason or another. That's a spirit of unbelief. The spirit of unbelie unbelief hates people that operate by a spirit of faith. I'm going to show you that. Numbers chapter 13. The spirit of unbelief is irritated by people of faith. And I know some of you on this broadcast know exactly what I'm talking about. The moment you started to believe God for, for you know, your needs, your financial needs to be met, all of a sudden people started to come around you and, and, uh, and just try to beat, beat down your spirit. You know, people that have, they've had needs and they've not been met. They prayed once or uh, 
twice and it didn't work out. So they gave up. And then they see someone else operate in the blessing or receive the blessing. They set out to receive. And it irritates them. Instead of being happy and celebrating them, they end up getting irritated by it. And then feel like it's their responsibility to make sure that that person feels terrible for what they've received from God. Don't let people like that, an evil heart of unbelief, the Bible says. Notice how the Bible doesn't say that it's a, a, a weakness in some people. They have No, it talks about it as an evil heart of unbelief. That shows you, you shouldn't tolerate unbelief in your spirit the same way you shouldn't tolerate sin in your spirit. Unbelief should be as irritating to you, as irritable to you, as sin is. When people speak words of doubt around me, how many of you know God doesn't heal the sick today like He used to, but we know that that you might as well have just cursed. You might as well have just dropped the F-bomb in your service because it does the same to me as, um, as that. Look at Numbers 13. Listen to this. Numbers 13, now verse 26. They departed and came back to Moses. Moses hears from God to go and take the land of Canaan and that there was going to be giants in the land and that they were going to have to subdue those giants, but that God would be for them and give them the victory. So he sends out 12 spies to go and spy out the land to see a strategy of war, how they should go in. You know, just because God says, I'm giving you something, doesn't mean you have zero responsibility to make a plan to, to, to get it, to retrieve it, to acquire it. Any faith that seeks to make God totally responsible for the outcome of your life is an irresponsible faith. It's an irresponsible faith, and it's a faith that God won't honor. So God told Moses, I'm giving you the land, but Moses had to take upon himself uh, the time, energy, and mental push towards drawing up a plan to acquiring the land. So he sends out 12 spies. Now listen to this. The 12 spies returned. If you're just joining me now, you'd do me a great help if you shared this broadcast. And uh, I believe it's going to help a lot of people. This, this will be a life-changing broadcast for many today. I really believe that. Because God's word can't go forth and return void. He, they return in verse 26. And came back to Moses and Aaron and all the congregation of the children of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. They brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. Then they told him and said, We went to the land where you sent us. It truly flows with milk and honey. This is its fruit. And the Amalekites, verse 28, Nevertheless, the people who dwell there in the land are strong. Their cities are fortified and very large. Moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the south. The Hittites, Jebusites, Amorites dwell in the mountains. And the Canaanites dwell by the sea along the, the banks of the Jordan. Then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and take possession, for we are well able to overcome it. But the men who had gone up with him said, We are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. And they gave the people, the children of Israel, a, an evil report of the land which they had spied out, saying the land through which we have gone as spies is a land that devours its inhabitants, and all the people whom we saw in it are men of great stature. There we saw the giants, the descendants of Anak, came from, from, from the giants, and we were like grasshoppers in our own sight, and so we were in their sight. This is a story 
of 12 spies returning from the land of Canaan, having spied it out. It was the same. All 12 spies saw the same land. All 12 spies saw the same fruit. All 12 spies saw the same land flowing with milk and honey. All 12 spies saw the same giants and the same opposition. But you know, the Bible notes here that 10 of them came back and delivered to the children of Israel an evil report of unbelief. And what did it do? It weighed the people's hearts down so that they said, we know what God said, but we're not able to do it. That's what unbelief does. Unbelief focuses on circumstances rather than the word of God. Unbelief is ruled and governed by the natural senses, whereas faith is governed by the word of God. Unbelief is ruled and governed by natural senses, by the sight, by what they hear, whereas faith is ruled by the word of God. Smith Wigglesworth used to say, I don't care about what I see, and I don't care about what I hear, and I don't care about how I feel. I only care about what God's word says about the situation. Unbelief is influenced by exterior circumstances, problems, and things that rise up against, against them. Whereas faith hears the report of the Lord and understands that God is, has integrity. You know, people that don't believe, people that doubt, they essentially are saying, God, you have no integrity. I know what you've said, but I don't believe you carry integrity to perform your word. Whereas people of faith understand that God has honored his word above his own self, and he cannot deny himself. The Bible says that God is not a man that he should change, nor is he the son of man that he should, uh, he should lie. As he has spoken, so shall it be. As he has declared, so shall it stand. So you see that there were 10 people who said, we can't do it. We know what God said. We've heard the same Moses. But we can't do it. The people are too strong for us. What did Caleb and Joshua do? Which the Bible says in Numbers 14, they had another spirit. They carried another spirit. They had another attitude. They had the attitude of faith. What did they say? We know that there are giants in the land. We know that the problems are real. You know, faith is not ignoring problems. Faith is not even ignoring the facts. You have to understand this. Things might be factually correct, but they can be untrue. Things might be factually correct, but they aren't true. What do I mean by that? The doctor gave you a report that the cancer is worse than when it was before, last month at the last CAT scan. And we're going to have to increase our efforts. That's factually correct. The cancer might have increased. It's factually correct. Your bank account might be in the reds. It's factually correct. I mean, we're not ignoring, we're not burying our heads in the sand and just wishing things away. That's not what faith does. Something could be factually correct, but categorically untrue. What do I mean by that? The cancer got worse. That's a fact. But the word of God is truth. The Bible says, Jesus said in John 17, sanctify them by thy word, for thy word is truth. Thy word is truth. So just because it's fact doesn't mean it's true for me. That's why the Bible says in Isaiah 53 and verse 1, 
Lord, who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed to? God's word is the report concerning your situation. And when you believe God's report as true, you know, the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 2, we receive the same gospel as they received, but it didn't profit them. So the gospel is true whether people believe it or not. But the Bible says it didn't profit them because they did not mix the gospel with faith. The word of God remains inactive until faith comes on the scene and it activates it. Just like flour and sugar and water, if you want to make dough, it remains inactive until the yeast comes into the dough and activates the yeast. Then the dough begins to rise. Faith is that yeast that activates the word of God to work and perform its promises in your life. But if your faith is dormant, if your intent on not believing, who has believed the report of the Lord? To whom has the arm of the Lord? The arm of the Lord is symbolic of the power of God. The power of God will not be revealed or manifested in anybody's life who refuses to believe the report of the Lord. The Bible says it before. I, I mean, I've, I've been talking about this entire time. If you have an evil heart of unbelief, now God's not saying you're evil if you have unbelief in you. He's not saying you're evil if you doubt. He's saying that unbelief itself is evil. You are not evil. But the unbelief in you is evil. And something, and that's what I pray this broadcast will do for you. Something will rise up on the inside of you to stand against unbelief in your home. Stand against unbelief in your spirit. Not tolerate the voice of the devil. You know, just like God, you need faith. Uh, to, the Bible says, all things are possible to him that believes. The Bible says, if I can, all things are possible if you'll only believe. The Bible says that by faith we subdue kingdoms. The Bible says that faith is the substance of things that we hope for. So just like faith brings God on the scene, unbelief, if you let it ride in your life and begin to speak, just like faith has an expression uh, through speech, unbelief has an expression by the words that you speak. And if you speak what your heart is telling you to speak, what the devil's whispering in your ears to speak, if you speak a report of unbelief, you will have what you say. Well, you know, it seems like the days of outdoor crusades are over in America People don't want to come out to hear people preach the gospel anymore. And so we're going to have to come up. People that speak like that have very small churches. And they never move forward. They never increase. They never have a crowd coming to their churches. They don't have anything interesting to offer people. People that speak like that, they have what they say. People don't want to hear them. They can never do outdoor meetings. They can never do outreaches. They never win anybody to, over to the Lord. You have people that say, you know, ministry is so hard. And we... we you know, God never promised it'd be easy. He just said it'd be possible. And, and what do you have for people that talk like that? They have ministries that are, they're burdened in the ministry. They're burning out every single year. They have to take like three months sabbaticals because they're about to pop a fuse, blow a fuse. And they have what they say. Don't be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, he will reap. If you sow unbelief, you're going to reap the consequence of unbelief. But on the flip side, if you'll learn to sow words of faith, the Bible says when you sow to the Spirit, you shall from the Spirit reap the life of God, the promises of God. 
You have people that say, you know, when I got married, just wait till you get married, you know. It's easy not to step on each other's toes when you don't live in the same house. But when you, when you live in the same house, you're going to start t- stepping on, people's, on, on each other's toes. And you're going to start getting into arguments. You're going to start, you know, people set, they expect those things to happen because they've been taught. Faith is taught and unbelief is taught. People are taught to live, to, to think that way and to expect those things to happen. And so what ends up happening? They get into marriage and then by year three, it's like they're miserable. They don't want to live together anymore. That's why the divorce rate, I think the average divorce is like three years or two years into marriage. Most marriages don't make it to five years. And even less marriages make it, make it to seven years and ten years. Because they're taught that, you know, like I said before, you're going to get in the same house and you're going to start stepping on each other's toes. Well, I live in the same house with my wife. We can be on the same couch and we're not touching each other's toes. Why? Because I'm not wicked and I'm not dumb. I'm not wicked in the sense that I'm not going around trying to jab her toes and I'm not dumb. I know my part to play. Keep my, you know, stick on my side. Well, in the same vein, the Bible tells you your part to play, to have a stress-free marriage. Ephesians 5. The Bible says you are to, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. So my part is to love my wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. So I do everything by the Spirit of God to love my wife. I treat her well. The The same way I saw Jesus treat me at the cross is the same way I treat my wife. So I do my part. And then my wife is spirit-filled, so she does her part. Wives, submit to your husbands. As Christ is the head of the church, even so the husband is the head of the wife in the home. There's a part to play on each part. But as she follows her part diligently, and I carry out my part diligently, we've never had. I'm not saying we've never got into like little like petty, stupid things like, you know, where we're going to go to eat tonight. But we don't, we don't fight over big things. And I'm not trying to... Make you feel bad if you if you have a marriage that's on the rocks. There's a way out. I want to tell you today. Stop getting around people that are going to tell you it's only going to get worse from here. Uh, seems like just goes uphill from here. Uphill, as in it's an uphill battle. It's going to get harder and harder. If you you're still in the honeymoon stage, just wait until that honeymoon stage wears out. Then things are going to. You know how many people I've met that weren't believers. That their marriage was on the rocks. They, they, I know a family. They, they were like a step away from divorce. And then they both got saved, filled with the Holy Ghost, started to love each other like the Bible instructs us to do. And then all of a sudden, it seems like the problems just evaporated. Why? You'd be amazed at how easy the devil backs off the moment you start to obey God in His Word. So you have to watch out. To not get around people that are going to, you know. It's, it's nice when you're young and active and stuff. Just wait till you have kids. You're going to see when the first kid comes around. Uh, it's cute when they're three months old. Cute when they're six months. Wait till they're terrible twos. I don't speak that over my son. Terrible twos. Just wait until he's three. We have, you remember terrible twos? Well, there's uh, awful threes coming around the corner. And don't, don't, don't forget. Don't forget frightening fours. And, you know, they just come up with everything at every age. And that's as you have believed, so be it unto you. What do I say? I look at my child. Your twos, instead of terrible twos, he's going to have terrific twos. 
He's going to have a blessed twos. He's going to have blessed threes. He's going to have blessed fours. Because the Bible says the generation of the upright shall be blessed on the earth. The Bible says you will not bring forth children for trouble. My children aren't going to rise up and be a trouble for their generation. My children shall rise up and be blessed. They will be like olive plants. Olive plants symbol, are symbolic of the anointing. They're going to be sources of life in my life. They're going to be a help to me. They're going to be a source of assistance. They're going to be a source of blessing, a source of joy, a source of peace. Unbelief tells you the opposite. Unbelief will have you confess everything the world is confessing. You gotta, you gotta rise up like Joshua and Caleb. Yes, the giants are real. We're not denying that there are obstacles in life. But much more real is the power of God at work in our lives. Much more real is the hand of God that fights our battles. With them is the arm of flesh. With my opposition is the arm of the devil. He has limited power with me, with us, with those giants is all of hell but with me is all of heaven and there's more for us than there are against us hallelujah there are more for us than there are against us the bible says if god be for you who can be against you what can come against you who can bring a charge against god's elect what's the price tag of unbelief mark chapter 6 mark chapter 6 and verse 1, And Jesus went out from there and came to his own country, and his disciples followed him. When the Sabbath had come, he began to teach in the synagogues, and many hearing him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things from? And what wisdom is this, that such mighty works are performed by his hands? Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James and Joseph, Judas and Simon? Are not his sisters here with us? So they were offended at him. Jesus said to them, A prophet's not without honor, except in his own country, among his own relatives, and in his own house. Now he could do no mighty works there. Now he could what? He could do no mighty works there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. And he went about in their villages in a sick circuit teaching. So Jesus, the anointed Christ, Jesus, the power of God in flesh, the word of God made flesh to dwell among us. The one who was born by immaculate conception. The one who went about doing good healing all that were oppressed by the devil the one who had the spirit without measure the bible says he arrived at nazareth and he could do nothing these people make it to seem that if you'll have faith uh nothing would be impossible that pretty much the the responsibility is on our end but i believe that god's sovereign and if he wants it done he'll do it that's not taught in the bible it's not taught in the bible god is sovereign but in his sovereignty, he has allotted man the free will to choose to believe God or choose to reject what God has said concerning their case. The Bible, look at Hebrews 11. It doesn't say by God's sovereign will, Noah prepared an ark for the salvation of his household. By God's sovereign will, Abraham obeyed God and went out to a city that he'd receive as a promise. By God's sovereign will, Sarah herself received strength to conceive seed, and she who was called barren bore children past the age of childbearing. And by God's sovereign will, Isaac, you know, it goes on in the heroes of faith. By, by God's sovereign will, Moses forsook Egypt. By God's sovereign will, 
They obtain promise. The Bible doesn't say it's by his sovereign will. The Bible says it's by God, it's by faith. By faith, Abel offered up a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. By faith, he chose to believe. If I give God my best, I know God will give me his best. By faith, Noah prepared an ark. You know, God told Noah, I'm going to flood the earth. Noah could have chosen to build a canoe. He could have chosen to build a little raft. And he would have been wiped out. He had faith to take God's instructions literally and prepare an ark that was exactly as the dimensions God laid, out, laid it out in Genesis for the salvation of his household. He was saved by faith. His house was saved by faith. Had he had unbelief in his heart and said, man, look at this. God expects me to do all this. Doesn't he know how much work that's going to take? How, how long does he want me to actually invest? How much time does he want me to invest in it? You know what? I'm just going to do the bare minimum. And he would have been washed away. He would have been wiped away. God would have had to start brand new. Abraham had a choice. He could have heard God's voice to go out into a land that God would show him. And he said, I'll bless you in your blessing. I'll bless you in your coming in. I'll bless you in your going out. In you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Abraham could have said, man, that's a lot of work. You know what, let me just consult my wife Sarah and we're, gonna, we're just going to put out the pros and cons and all this. That's what unbelief does. Unbelief tries to seek a way out of obeying God's instructions but still arrive at the same reward that faith has. But it doesn't work that way. Unbelief, faith is not the risk. Faith is not the risk. Unbelief is the real risk. Unbelief carries a cost. Faith is what carries a reward for those that carry out its instructions. Jesus could do no mighty works there. A region had, Jesus had plans to impact that region. He had plans to bring an awakening to that region. The same thing he did in, uh, in, in uh, skirting the seas of Galilee, where they brought to him all that were sick and lame, and he healed them all, and there was great glory to God given in that place. And they said, what kind of man is this? That such powerful works are done by him. The same works that he did everywhere else, he wanted to, to accomplish in Nazareth. But the Bible says his hands were tied. Faith will tie the hands of God. Unbelief, sorry, will tie the hands of God. That are able to help you. Unbelief. I'll go through several things that unbelief that I wrote down here. What doubt robs people of? Because doubt is the, the robber of God's blessings in people's lives. The Bible says in James 1, let the man who doubts not expect to receive anything from the Lord. So, number one, unbelief will cut you off from a move of God, as we saw in Nazareth. Number two, unbelief will cut you off from receiving anything from, hands, from the hands of God. Healing comes by faith. The Bible says that your faith has made you whole. He turned to the woman with the issue of blood. He turned to blind Bartimaeus and said, do you believe that I'm able to do this? He said, yes, Lord. He touched his eyes and his, his eyes were open. Unbelief will cut you off from God's miracle flow of his power. Miracle flow of God's power, will be, you'll be cut off from it because of unbelief. Unbelief will cut you off from victory in life. The Bible says whatsoever is of faith has overcome this world. And this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. 
So unbelief will cut you off from the victory that God has planned for you. I said it in Hebrews 4.12, uh, 4.2 before. I said that uh, the writer of Hebrews said that the same gospel was preached to them as was preached unto us, but it was not, it didn't profit them because they didn't mix it with faith. Faith, unbelief will cut you off from heaven if you allow it to. There are many people, the Bible says in Matthew 13, there are many people who received the seed of the word of God. And they held on to it for a little while. But then tribulation and problems, uh, persecution arose because of the word. And they didn't have any firm root in themselves. So they lasted only for a while and then they withered away. Those are people that they come, they hear the gospel preach. They have a little success for a little while. They have a little joy for a little while. But then the moment opposition rises because of the word, they sink back into unbelief. The moment someone gets around them and says, well, yeah, I know what you know, God's word says, but you got to use wisdom. They immediately leave the realm of faith and go back into the realm of logic and unbelief where they were confined and captive to before. Mark 16 says, those that believe shall be saved, but they that do not believe shall be damned, condemned. The Bible says, God so loved the world that whosoever should believe in him should not perish. So on the flip side of that statement is those who, do be, who don't believe in him will perish. That's why at the end of this broadcast, I'm going to give you an opportunity to receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of your life. Maybe once upon a time you believe, maybe you grew up in church, but somewhere down the line, tragedy occurred. Maybe somewhere down the line, it was a, I just met a guy yesterday, I was at Chick-fil-A. And um, this guy, you know, he obviously knew the Christian faith, maybe even grew up in church because he was, he was telling me about some scriptures. And uh, he was outside of Chick-fil-A panhandling. And uh, I ended up buying an extra sandwich. I gave it to him. And I, I, I preached the gospel to him. I told him, look, life might have turned out sour for you, but life doesn't have to end the way it started. Life doesn't, the first couple of chapters might have turned out this way, but you, can, you and God can write the final chapters of the book of your life. You don't have to stay a beggar. God can take the beggar out of the dunghill. And you can see tears forming in his eyes. So I prayed with him and... Um, made sure that he, he knew Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And I asked him, like, what, what brought you here? How'd you end up here? And he said it was eight years ago that he was, he was actually an umpire for um, a baseball league. Not MLB, but I think it was like the AAA teams. And he ended up coming home one day, and uh, he was a, a career referee for, 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 for baseball. He comes home one day, and he sees his wife dead. And he thought from that, that God had taken his wife away from him. And it crushed his heart. It was a, an attack the devil had that wasn't just to kill his wife. That attack was to steal his wife, kill, his, kill her, and then destroy not only his wife, but destroy that man's destiny and keep him from ever believing in God. He had, he had unbelief in his heart that was rooted in bitterness towards God. And that day I showed him, that's the devil that did that. But God gave you, came to send Jesus to give you life and life more abundantly. And then you can see, like, his countenance lifted. But just from that one attack, it steered into motion. Uh, eight years of tragedy, of further misery, to where he's now on the streets panhandling. So we gave him money, we helped him out. You know, we don't just preach the gospel in words. And, 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 um, and then just let them, you know... Well, be blessed. No, we give, we, I helped him out. I can tell this guy was sincere. So that might be you. An attack happened years ago, a decade ago. And since then, 
Nothing's worked for you. Since then, you've had bitterness, anger in your heart towards God, thinking that he was the one at the other end of that problem. He was the one that caused it. No, my brother. The devil intends things for evil for your life. But God has a plan to do a switcheroo that what the enemy intended for evil, God can bring good about it. God can turn it for your good if you allow him to do it. But you have to leave unbelief. You have to, the Bible says, by faith, through grace, or by grace through faith, we are saved. Unbelief will cut you out from heaven, and then unbelief will cut you from God's blessings here on this earth. On the flip side, faith is what allows you to partake of the divine nature of God. Faith is what allows you to taste of the blessing of God. Faith is what allows you to enter in. How do we know that? Galatians 3.14 says that by faith we might enter into the blessing of Abraham. Hallelujah. The Bible says we're not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ for by faith it is the power of God unto them that believe. I want to go through. So I talked. Oh, I can go into so much more. I talked to you a bit about the price tag of unbelief. You know, Mark 6, it cut a whole region out from the power of God operating and flowing through them. Getting people saved, getting people... People that should have been healed in Nazareth, left unhealed. People that should have had a miracle in Nazareth, left without receiving a miracle. Uh, you, you can turn to 2 Kings chapter 7. And you see the story of there being a, a famine in the land of Israel to the point where people resulted in cannibalism. They were eating their own children. And then Elisha, the prophet, rises up and says, by this time tomorrow, a sale of barley and a sale of flour will be sold for such and such a price. Be like saying, uh, gas is $20 a gallon today, but by tomorrow, it'll go down to $2.30 again. So the economic analyst in the land of Israel turns to Elisha and the king and says, I'm an expert in the field of ec economics. Even if God were to open up the windows of heaven, such a thing should, would never even happen. Because even if God were to provide a blessing like that, you know, it would take time for the delivery to come in, for the, you know, all that flour to come back in, all that barley to come back in. It's going to take time. So even if by this time tomorrow, it would be impossible. It would take at least three days to get all that, to get the economy running again. You know what Elisha said? You will indeed see it with your eyes, but you'll never eat of it. Unbelief will cause you to witness other people celebrating their victory while you stay on the sideline bitter and, and angry and why things didn't work for you because you decided to run your mouth. That's why David said, set a guard over my heart. Put a door over, the, over, over my lips. Don't let me just run my mouth. You know the Bible says, if you've devised foolishness, put a hand to your mouth. If you're thinking unbelief, you don't have to voice it. A thought can come in. It doesn't have to stay, and you don't have to give expression to that thought. Because the moment you give expression to that thought, you give the devil something to work with. Just like faith brings God on the scene, unbelief is faith in the devil that allows him to be released into your life to do what he wills. Just like faith carries a blessing, unbelief kicks into motion the curse. Even if, even if God should open up the windows of heaven, such a thing will never happen. What happened the next day? 
God's plan, God's word prevailed. Everything he said, a sale of barley was sold for such and such a price. The economy was kicked, started again. But the economic analyst, the king gave him the task of controlling the food distribution. Well, one thing you don't want to do is control food distribution in a nation that's starving and uh, you know, has, has already resorted to cannibalism because you're going to be the first one to be trampled. And that's exactly what happened. The next day, he was trampled at the gate and indeed, he saw the miracle happen, but he never partook of its blessing. And I pray that will never be your case. Like Zechariah. Look at Zechariah in Luke chapter 1. He's asking God for a son. He's asking God for a child in old age. An angel comes to him and says, God has heard your prayer. And now you will, you will con your wife will conceive. Elizabeth will conceive. And that which shall be born of her will, be, will go forth in the spirit and power of Elijah. He'll be called the prophet of the highest. And uh, he will be the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, making way for the Messiah. Not only am I giving you a son, I'm going to give you a son that's going to announce the coming of the Messiah. What does Zechariah do? Well, Lord, uh, how, am I, how should I know this will actually happen? The angel said, I'm Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God. I was sent by God to tell you these things. You're the one who's been praying for it. What do you mean? How could such a thing happen? I don't understand that. Unbelief can't pray. Unbelief can only utter words. It takes faith to pray and have results. But in God's mercy, in that specific situation, obviously he needed John to be born. So he said, I'm Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. And it's going to happen exactly as I've been told. But in case you decide to run your mouth for the duration of this pregnancy, I'm going to shut your mouth and his mouth was shut for the duration of nine months until they named John John. And then the Bible says his mouth was open and his tongue was loose. But the, isn't it interesting? The angel had to shut John's mouth because he understood the principles of faith. You'll have what you say, whether good or bad. That if the angel just let this guy run his mouth in unbelief, who knows if Elizabeth would have miscarried, Elizabeth would have, uh, uh, I don't know, Never conceived. The angel said, let's, as a preventative act, let's shut this guy's mouth. And for the whole nine months, his mouth was shut. Couldn't say one word. Whenever he wanted to say something, he had to write it down on a pallet and hand it to the person. Which, it's not like today where you can write it on your phone. He had to like, you know, it wasn't cheap to have papyrus in those days or whatever they used. Paper in those days. So you can see that unbelief was the risk there. The angel saw his unbelief as a risk in stopping the plan of God. So what do we do? If we have unbelief in our heart, there are very clear steps the Bible lists for us in Scripture. Number one, we said it in Mark chapter 6. Jesus marveled at their unbelief and he did what? Well, isn't that a shame? Guess there's nothing we can do here. No, he went about in a circuit preaching and teaching. The reason why people have a hard time believing is because they're not taught the Word of God. They're not taught the Word of God. They don't listen and sit under preachers. They don't read the Word for themselves. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Faith doesn't come by assumption. Faith does not come by hoping or wishing. Faith doesn't come by hearing somebody else's testimony. Oh, that's great. That worked for them. God, I pray the same for me. Faith comes by hearing the Word of God. The foundation of Bible faith, and the only faith God respects is Bible faith. 
Because people can have faith in themselves. People can have faith in their own words. People can have faith in, in someone else's words. And, you know, people have faith in Christian cliches. You know, type amen and you'll be blessed. That's not what faith is. Faith is a living force drawn from the living word that produces living proofs in life. Faith is a living force. It's something you can handle. Paul said it in Ephesians 6. We take up the shield of faith wherewith wherewith we can destroy or quench every fiery dart of the devil. So faith is something you can handle. It's something you can touch. You know, people always say that faith is not in seeing. Faith is, is, is just in, you know, it's just in trusting. No, faith sees. Faith sees with the eyes of your spirit what the Word of God says before it sees it with its physical eyes. You see that in 2 Kings chapter 6. The Bible says that um, Elijah kept, Elisha kept revealing the king of Assyria's secrets to the king of Israel. By the word of knowledge, he kept saying the plans, the strategy of war that the king of Syria had in invading Israel. And every time he planned something new, Elisha, by the word of knowledge, would hear it by the Spirit, and he'd go and tell the king of Israel, they're going to camp in you in such and such a place. They're going to camp against you, so go and line up your army there, and, and they won't, they won't, they won't, uh, it, it, their plans won't work. After a while, the king of Syria gets ticked off, and he says, which of you, to his own commanding uh, generals in his army, which of you is for the king of Israel? Which of you is a traitor? And they said, none, Lord. But there's a man of God in Israel that reveals the secrets, even those that you speak in your bedroom to the king of Israel, so that we've been, we haven't been able to implement any of our plans. So he assembles an army to go against Elisha. Could you imagine have such, having such spiritual impact that a nation sees you as a threat? That's what Isaac had. Isaac prospered in such a way by the hand of God, by the blessing and favor of God in his life, the Philistines said, you've become greater than us. They saw Isaac as a threat to their own prosperity. Do you know that we, brethren, as Isaac, are children of promise? God wants to do that to you. He doesn't have, there's no small plans in God's mind for you. There's no little place that God wants to keep you at. That's what religion does. It beats you down into thinking small thoughts about your life and about yourself. God said, I know the plans I have for you. That though your plan, you start off small, my plans are to greatly increase you. They're to move you forward. They're to make you a blessing to not just your, your region, not blessings to your family. In you, the nations of the earth shall be blessed and I see you taking that spot in the mighty name of Jesus Christ you might start off small but everything in God's kingdom is built on increase Abraham was one man and after God was done with him he was more his descendants were more than can be numbered more than the sands on the seashore hallelujah Jesus started off look at Mark 6 where did this man come from when he began to to operate by the anointing of God. In Luke chapter 3 and Ma Matthew chapter 3, the Bible says great fame of him spread throughout the surrounding regions. The Bible says you are to let your light so shine in such a way that others might see our good works and glorify God in heaven. People always say this stupid statement. You know, some of the greatest warriors of God, you won't even hear of their name on earth. I don't believe that. Billy Graham led hundreds of millions of people to the Lord. They... They took days off in, I don't know when he died, 2016 or 2017. They took a couple of days off to give him the burial procession that is reserved for presidents. 
He had every president that's still alive attend his funeral. What do you think gave that? Started off as a little farm boy in Montreat, North Carolina. And then at the end of his life, having a ministry that impacts the globe. You might have a small business now. If you let unbelief run your... Run the way you talk and run the way you run, uh, you, you, you do things in life. You'll stay small and you'll actually recede. But if you'll by faith begin to speak the word of God, saying that God, God is the one that backs this ministry. God's the one that backs this business. God's the one that is at the, at the forefront and at the back of, this, of my life. That life might have started a certain way, but it's not going to end a certain way. Like Abraham, I'm going to see myself to the top. Like Isaac, I'm going to see my way to the top. Like David, I might be a shepherd's boy, tending to a few flock, but I know that God has a plan to take me from the shepherd's field to the palace. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Unbelief is a risk. So, how do we grow our faith? So, what did I say? I said, Jesus, the cure for unbelief is proper Bible teaching. And faith is compartmentalized just like unbelief is compartmentalized. You have some people who believe the, the word of salvation. They're saved. They're going to heaven. But they don't believe in healing. So, they have faith for one thing in God's word. But faith is compartmentalized. Meaning you can have faith in one aspect of the word of God but totally ignorant and unbelieving in another and I want to tell you there's three sources of unbelief in a person's life number one source of unbelief and that's prevalent in the body of Christ is ignorance and I said it before they, they, Jesus went about teaching faith comes by hearing you know the Bible says my people are destroyed not because there's a big devil my people are destroyed not because there's a uh, big obstacles or impossible things or things God doesn't know how to do. My people are destroyed because they have no knowledge. So lack of knowledge is going to rob you of God's best for your life. Lack of what God wants to give you is going to prevent you from accessing that inheritance. That's why Paul said in Colossians 1.12, giving thanks to the Father who hath made us partakers of the inheritance. How? In light. In light, light connotes knowledge, revelation knowledge. So we become partakers of God's inheritance as we come to know the things God has given us. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. But you can have a bank account full of a million dollars. If you don't know that you have a bank account full with one million dollars, you can starve and die a beggar. There was a man in uh, Chicago who they found his body dead, uh, was a beggar, a known beggar, would always go around with a shopping cart and fill it with whatever he could find. Found his, his neighbors ended up smelling something coming from his government apartment. They end up, op police opening the door. They find him dead, starved to death, emaciated, and with a belt, uh, a f like a fanny pack around his waist. And they opened it up and was 20, 23,000 US dollars. And this was back in like 1910 which is like a lot of money today. This guy died as a beggar because he never, he never used what he had. And there's a lot of Christians who have everything available to them. They don't have to be sick because by his stripes, he's made healing available to us. Matter of fact, Jesus said a parable talking about the gospel. He said he sent servants out 
to give invitations out, to tell people all things are ready. God's not making things ready. The gospel, when, die, when Christ died on that cross, he said, it is finished. In essence, he was saying, everything's ready now. You have to take, make the decision to pull up a, ta- a, a chair to the table of God on which are all the choice blessings of God and begin to feast on it. But if you don't know what's on the menu, you can't order it. So the word of God is what shatters unbelief in a person. When I got saved, I stayed sick with OCD because I just knew Jesus can, he- can forgive my sins. I had no clue that he wanted to heal me of my sickness. You go around, you want to know why people stay sick? Because they're taught that God's will is for them to stay sick. You know what I mean? You, you look at any healing evangelist, anybody that was used powerfully to see miracles happen in their ministry. You ask them, get them on the side. None of them are saying God's will is for the people to stay sick. None of them are saying that God has some mysterious plan working out in their... None of them talk like that. They all know. I am willing, be thou made clean. They all know that Jesus was the exact representation of the nature of God and he went about doing good, healing all that were oppressed of the devil. He laid hands on the sick and the sick recover. And Mark 16 says he's given us power to lay hands on the sick and the sick shall recover. So is it because that God has his hand on their life in a special way? No. It's because they have read this book and not added their own commentary to it, but said, if God said it, I believe it, that settles it, and I'm going to act on it. That was the secret to Smith Wigglesworth's healing ministry. He was unswayed by the religious tradition and popular opinions of his day. Unswayed. He went to pray for someone that was sick in a hospital once, and um, he, he, he brought someone, another minister with him, just to like help, you know, where two or three are gathered in my name, and if two of you shall agree on one thing concerning anything they might ask, it shall be given them. So he thought this guy was a man of faith. So they go to the hospital. This guy's dying on his sickbed. And the, he said, you pray first. So this guy goes out and starts praying, God, we know that this man's wife is about to be a widow, and we just pray that you would take care of her and meet her needs. And also in this man's dying hours, he would know you as Lord and Savior. And Wigglesworth was like taken back. And he said, I shouted without even knowing it. Stop! Stop praying. And he, he just kicked the guy out. And he laid his hands on him. And he just prayed a very simple pray, prayer. In the name of Jesus Christ, I minister to you resurrection power. As he said that, the presence of God filled the room. The man's wife falls to the ground. Wigglesworth said he fell to the ground because there was such a power that hit the earth. You know, when it's amazing. When you start to speak faith, how attracted God is to faith. God is repelled by unbelief, but he's attracted to faith. God stays clear from unbelief. He wants, look at the t- ten spies. They never entered into the Canaan land. Hebrews 3, if I had continued reading, I got sidetracked. But Hebrews 3 says, because they did not believe, they did not enter into his rest. Unbelief will cut you off from the rest, R-E-S-T, the peace, the joy that God has ahead of you. Those ten spies, God said, as they have spoken in the hearing of my ears, so shall it be to them. But Joshua and Caleb were the only two people to enter into the promised land. Joshua and Caleb, they were the only two. 
You'd be amazed at when you start. You know why people feel depressed all the time? They surround themselves with people that, 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 that sow unbelief in their life. And unbelief has the fruit of depression tied to its tree. Weighs people down. It's hard to stay happy when you're around people that are saying it's going to be impossible. You'll never have that. You know when things become, <laughs> you know when joy kicks in? Look at David. Surrounded, uh, David had, had, had his, his army destroyed. His people had been ransacked. His woman kidnapped and his children kidnapped. And the people spake of stoning him. He'd encouraged himself in the Lord. No, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Yes, things might have not turned out the way I wanted them right now, but I know that the Lord is my light and my salvation. I don't have to fear. My tomorrow's going to be all right because I'm doing what God said to do today. I know that it shall be well with me. I know that when men say there's a casting down, God said there's a lifting up. I know that the Word of God says He works all things together for those that work His will and that walk according to His purpose. I know that He that began a good work in me shall complete it. I know that the Bible says greater is he that lives in me I shall not be defeated I shall not give up and quit I'm going to see I'm going to make it to the other side I'm going to see the blessing of the Lord in the land of the living I would have last heart had I not believed that I'd see God's goodness while I'm yet in the land of the living going on to that story I was saying before that I got sidetracked I get sidetracked all the time just led by the spirit this um Elisha's servant comes out and sees an army encamped around Elisha and around his house. A full army against him. And his servant says, behold, we're, we're done. We're dead. There's, nothing, there's no way we're getting out of this one. Well, we had a good run. Elisha said, Lord, open his eyes that he could see what I see. When you start to see that there's more for you than there are against you, it's hard to get depressed. It's hard to stay anxious. People always focus, oh, there's demons after me. There's demons here. There's demons there. Why don't you start focusing that the angel of the Lord has been charged to keep you in all your ways lest you dash your foot against the stone? Why don't you focus your eyes, your gaze, on the fact that the angel of the Lord encamps around them that fear him to deliver them out of all their trouble? Why don't you focus your gaze on the word of God that says there's more on your side? One third of the angels might have fallen and are now demons. But there's two-thirds of the angels that are still on my side working. They're sent forth, ministering spirits, sent forth to minister on behalf of us who will inherit salvation. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Doubt will rob you of victory. Doubt will rob you of revival. Doubt will rob you of victory. Doubt will rob you of peace. Bible says, he that believes shall not make haste. A price tag of unbelief is lack of peace. God said, I will speak peace unto my people. God said, the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. Only when you have your eyes fixed on Him will you have the peace of God that surpasses all understanding. Bible says in Matthew 14, Jesus tells Peter, come out, off the boat, walk on water. He does, takes a few steps. When he got his eyes off Jesus, he began to sink. And mercy... Merciful Jesus stretched forth his hand, lifted him up, brought him back into the boat. People say, you see, 
Nothing's promised in life. Sometimes you just sink and it's God's will. It was never God's will for Peter to sink. It was God's will for Peter to make it to Jesus and for Jesus and him, who knows, just to walk to the, not even go back into the boat, just walk to the other side uh, supernaturally. But the Bible says he began to sink as he looked to the wind. When you have a spirit of unbelief, you're constantly gravitating towards how things won't work out. When you carry the spirit of faith, you're constantly gravitating on how you're, you have a positive outlook on life. And it's not even just a positive outlook. It's a Bible outlook. Gravitated towards victory. I mean, I have that. I, I don't want to hear sappy. It's like people feel, they feed their flesh when they tell their horror stories. They love to secure people's pity. They love to, to have people's sympathies. I don't want people's pity. I want to speak in such a way that glorifies God. If I have a story that doesn't honor God, I don't bring it up. People ask David O.A. Depo, man, you seem like uh, you've never had a downtime in life. You've ever had, have you ever had problems? David O.A. Depo said, maybe they came. I don't focus on them. I don't focus on the horror stories of the past. The spirit of faith empowers you to look forward. It, the spirit of faith empowers you to see, behold, I'm going to do a new thing. Now it shall spring forth. Now it shall spring forth out of dry ground. God is... You might be in a dry place. God's able to make, faith will make you to understand that God's able to make a river to spring forth out of dry ground. To make, for, uh, to, to make waters to spring forth out of a parched desert and wilderness. Hallelujah. 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 Doubt will rob you of joy. Bible says, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you believe. So if you don't believe, You'll not have any joy. It'll be one of those miserable, sour, lemon juice Christians. Oh, when I was young, I used to preach like that. And now that I'm old, you know, I just have a more mature relationship with God. No, you let the fire go out. That's what happened. Faith produces joy. Faith embeds joy inexplicable and full of glory in a man. A contagious joy. A joy that, uh, that infects the environment of the carrier of its power. Faith is, you look at every giant of faith, they were all happy people. Look at David. I'll bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continuously come out of my mouth. Oh, the people are speaking of stoning me? Let me strengthen myself. He encouraged himself in the Lord. He was a self-encourager. He had so much joy, even in dark times in his own life, he knew how to encourage himself. You couldn't get around David and stay discouraged. David said, why so downcast, O my soul? He was a faith man. The, the slightest inclination of sorrow coming on his heart. And he said, hey, 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 why so downcast, O my soul? Hope in God. Hope in God. Set your gaze on God again, for you shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. Look at Abraham, fully persuaded that what God had promised, he was able to perform. Abraham didn't look at his own body. He didn't look. He didn't look at things that generated 
sorrow and fear. He looked at things. He looked to the word of the Lord that generated further faith. He gave glory to God, grew strong in faith as a result, being fully persuaded. I said it before and I feel to say it again. When you have, when you, when you, the source of unbelief, the source of doubt, the, the root source of that is when you're not fully persuaded of God's integrity. There's still something in you that believes either God can fail or that God, uh, God has lied. But the Bible says in Hebrews chapter, I believe it's chapter 10, God desiring to show the immutability of His Word. Immutability means the unchangeableness of His Word. He confirmed it by an oath. And that He can swear by no one greater. He swore by His own self. He, swear by his, he swore by His own self. Why, do we, why can we be convinced and believe that God's, God's report uh, will prevail in our lives? Because God's put His own reputation on the line in promising these things. God himself has said, I've sworn by myself. I've put my own head on the line here. I've put my own reputation. My, I've got skin in the game. Hallelujah. So the three sources of doubt, unbelief, uh, is ignorance, self-condemnation, which is a huge thing. People are self-condemned. God's not condemned them. God's forgotten their, their past, but they keep bringing up their past. And as such, they can't move into their future. Constantly paralyzed and stagnant by their past. Well, I don't know if God, you know, can I really speak like that, you know, after all I've done? Your past is forgiven. It's buried in the sea of forgetfulness, never to be brought back to memory. God buried it in a sea and then put a, a sign at the front saying, no fishing here. So stop, stop fishing it out. The Bible says, as far as the east is from the west, so has he buried our sins. So has he taken, removed, blotted our sins from his sight. So unbelief comes from self-condemnation. That people don't feel like they can operate in faith. Number th uh, and number three is, is Satan's blinders. The Bible says the God of this age has blinded the minds of them that believe not, lest they should see. So the last, the last uh, source of unbelief is satanic blinders. Satanic uh, veils that have been placed over people's eyes. And the only way to defeat that is to fast, pray, and get in the word of God. And then ask like David asked, open up my eyes that I might behold the wonders in thy law. To see the wonders behind the scriptures. So all that to say, what's the cure of unbelief? Because if I just told you the price tag of unbelief and then close the broadcast, it'd be a pretty miserable broadcast. What's the cure? How can I make sure I don't have any of it in me? I said it before, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. One, doing what you're doing right now. You're listening to, to, to preaching. That's building something in you. Number two, praying in the Holy Ghost. Bible says in Jude 1.20, building yourself up on your most holy faith, praying always in the Holy Ghost. As you pray in the Spirit, you're, you're charging your battery, your spirit's battery. You know, food is to the, to the body what the Word of God and, and praying in the Spirit is to your spirit. Just like food nourishes your physical body, the Word of God nourishes your spirit, which in turn generates, generates faith. 
Number three, how does faith come? Faith comes by speaking the word of God. You can have all the faith in your heart if you don't let it loose, if you keep running your mouth uh, however you want. That faith is just, the seed is just going to, like the word of God says, the seed is sown and then the seed is sown and then a man comes, uh, the devil comes and snatches the seed that was sown in their heart. So how do you make sure that that's not you? You keep speaking it. As you speak, you're watering that seed. Speak it in faith. Even if it doesn't make sense, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him. He'll direct your path. So don't lean on your understanding. Well, I don't, I don't see how that's going to work. No, just speak it. It's foolishness to this world, but it's wisdom to me. And then number four, how faith comes. Faith comes by doing the Word of God. Because as you begin to do it, you're, you're actually learning to uh, skillfully apply the Word of God, which is the sword of the Spirit. And the more you use this sword, the more trust, the more faith, the more confidence you have in its power. You know, the Bible says there are some who are unskilled in the Word. They're unskilled. You can become a skilled swordsman of the Word of God. You can become skilled in its application, skilled in the way you deliver it, skilled in the way you speak it. There's some preachers who are unskilled in the Word of God. They don't, they don't bring it up once when they preach. They don't talk about the Word. They just talk experience. They talk about their testimony. They talk, but they never bring up the Word. They're unskilled in the Word of righteousness. They don't know how to tie. Um, they don't know how to tie the Word into life application. But then there's others who are skilled in the Word of, in the word of God. They're, they know how to apply it practically in people's life. And when you do, when you start to apply it practically and you start to see its results, it builds confidence in you to do it again and again and again. Do you think anybody had to convince the man that was born blind if he should follow Jesus after he went and washed and came back seen? He went and acted in obedience on what Jesus had told him to go and wash and come back seen? He did that? Do you think anyone had to convince him, hey, would you like to become a disciple of Christ? No, there was confidence in him. This guy's got something. James 1 says, Do not just be hearers of the word, but be ye doers of the word. For the doer of the word is blessed in his work. Father, I pray for everyone that's watching right now in the name of Jesus. That this message would infect them. That this would be like a contagion of the spirit of faith coming in their lives. That they'd never recover from it. I pray, Father, let every sign of unbelief, every trace of doubt, Every area where there's uncertainty concerning what you've said, let it be exterminated from their life from today in Jesus' name. I pray let a grace come on them to have an insatiable appetite for your word. In Jesus' name, knowing that it's by, by hearing your word that faith is built. I pray, Lord, that... Uh, like a toilet flushing. All the unbelief that's been stored up in their spirit. Give them a clean slate today. Let it all be flushed out of their lives. And by grace today. Give them ears. That are not ruled. By what we hear in the natural. But by what we hear in the word of God. Eyes. To see. Not, and not be governed by what we see in the natural. But by what we see in the word of God. Leading us to a place of victory. In Jesus name. 
In the name of Jesus Christ. If you're watching now and you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, I, I, you have to do it right now. Pray this prayer with me. Say this from the bottom of your heart. Father, in Jesus' name, I come to you knowing that I can be born again by faith. I believe you raised Jesus from the dead. I confess Jesus Christ is Lord of my life. Come live in me, Lord Jesus. Cut off the past from my life and let everything become new. I turn to you today. Wash me by your blood. Give me power to live a life worthy of your calling. And I'll never be the same again. Not by might, but by your spirit. In Jesus' name. I am healed. I am saved. I'm forgiven. I am redeemed. And I'm not turning back. Amen. Stay connected with us by visiting us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook by searching at TJ Malkanji. Or visit us online, www.salvationnow.ca. God bless you, and until next time.